All right, here we are, Munitions Podcast. We are back. We are uh, lots to cover today, so we're not going to uh, tinker around too much with the introductories, but uh, Steve Palmer here with Derek DeBras from Munitions Law Group, and of course, I'm from Yavich and Palmer, uh, soon to be Palmer Legal Defense, for those who care. Uh, at any rate, what we do here at the Munitions Podcast is exactly what you might think with something called Munitions po- Well, maybe not. We talk about all things firearms. We talk about legal issues, factual issues, fun issues, practical issues. We answer questions. And, of course, I've got the leading expert, I think, in the country here on firearms and firearms-related legal issues, Derek DeBross. Uh, how goes it, man? Well, that was generous. I don't know. Well, I think it's true. Look, I, I wouldn't say it unless uh, <laughs> unless you were sitting here. And otherwise, I'd say there's something. I'm just kidding. Th- things are good. Um, recently bought another couple of firearms. Well, is, is people always ask me, should I get this gun? I get I hunt a lot, so people tell me or ask me, I don't know. I'm thinking about getting a 300 Win Mag, and I might trade in. My, I, was like, I was like, just shut up. Don't trade any guns. <laughs> Buy the 300 Win Mag. Just oh, get the gun. Always add to the arsenal. You can always sell it later. So what did you get? Um, well, I, I actually own a CZ Shadow Two, which is their higher-end uh, handgun, and I uh, kitted it out. So I had the slide milled and Cerakoted it and – Kitted it, kit, kitted yeah. it out. Yeah, you know. is that like firearm lingo? Yeah, kitted it got, out. I yeah, got you. Yeah, and then uh, a Wilson Combat EDC X9. What so, is that? Wilson Combat is a uh, anyone in the gun industry knows who Wilson is. Um, so they make uh, 1911s as their specialties, but they have a EDC model double stack nine millimeters. So they're custom made guns, taking months to get them. So I ordered one, I should say. You or so it's coming. It's, it's coming, cometh. but a year from now I'll get it probably. So. Really, they're that backed up. About eight months is the lead time. Now, is this a company that's making like they have their own tooling? Their oh own, yeah, yeah. Uh, so from scratch. Yep, yep. Essentially, yeah. They're not using frames from anybody else, to my knowledge. They're milling everything. Wow, that's pretty cool. I believe so. I believe so. Well, look, there's there's stuff going on in the legal world. Usually, I'd love to sit and banter about firearms and such, but uh, recent decision here. We talked about this before in uh, in Ohio. Uh, what what gives with it? Let's get get us up to speed. Yeah, you guys, I just got this um, from my contacts at the government. Um, they're the Fairfield County case uh, with City of Columbus, Ohio, uh, where they had a uh, I think it was a temporary injunction was issued originally. Yep. Um, the motion for the permanent injunction or preliminary injunction, I should say, was denied by a Judge Barons out of Fairfield County. Um, you know, I have a chance to read through it in detail. I did see there's different elements to whether or not a preliminary injunction will be granted. Well, before but, we go there, though, let me cut, let's go back and recap what the issue sure, is. What's, sure. go, what's the underlying bubbling? So conflict? there was a judge out of Columbus, Ohio, that basically said, "Hey, the preemption law in Ohio is not constitutional. It's not valid, uh, which prohibits cities and local municipalities from passing more restrictive gun laws than the state of Ohio has, and this prevents a patchwork of laws around the state, right? And most states yep. have this. Um, so that was after the Supreme Court has ruled in this matter twice. Uh, he said it was unconstitutional, if I remember correctly, or at least said it wasn't able to be enforced. So hold on, let's let's summarize. So preemption basically means the state of Ohio, as the bigger entity, has sole and exclusive authority to write and make laws on gun regulation. Otherwise, what happens is a Columbus will say, you can do this. The state of Ohio says, you can't do this. And then maybe Gehanna will come forward and say, well, you can do this right. in Gehanna. And it gets in, there, it's inconsistency and it's almost impossible to figure out. Something similar, believe it or not, is going on with um, vaping and tobacco products. Hmm. And uh, that's a very, I've talked about preemption in a couple other podcasts too, given some commentary on it. But uh, it's a doctrine that basically says the biggest entity, mostly, very often the United States government preempts the field. But here we're talking about Ohio right. preempting the field. So that's it right. has to do with Columbus passing very restrictive gun laws. That's, that's right. And we've sued the city of Cleveland, city of Clyde, and city of Camel, uh, Cleveland Heights on these issues in the past. I mean, there's there's robust litigation that we've dealt with on these cases. So we uh, we thought for sure they would grant the preliminary injunction, but they didn't. And then, as you know, Steve, there's 
what a preliminary injunction is is an injunction that's not yet permanent, but it's going to stay in place until the trial actually happens. All right, the so case let me resolves itself. Let me translate. So injunction, everybody, you, you hear this all the time, and a lot of times we see the Supreme Court denied this, or Amy Coney Barrett didn't do this, or the Supreme Court falls short of uh, whatever. And if, if you're on the on the one side of the aisle, then you think, oh crap, life is lost. And on the other side, if it goes the other way, but really, what's happening is a preliminary injunction just means you're asking a judge at a very lower court level not to let somebody enforce the law as written yet until the constitutional issues are are ironed out. So here, uh, somebody sues and says, look, we want you, court, to say they can't can't enforce this law yet until we figure out whether it violates uh, the Constitution or some other provision. And so when you're asking for an injunction, you're basically saying, all right, it's not saying – what you're not doing is saying overturn the law. You're saying don't enforce the law yet. Right. Give us a timeout. Right. A, a stay. And there's different elements that have to be proven. Again, I just perused this with my thumb on my phone, and it looks like at least uh, the state failed on one of those elements, and that's the the likelihood that they'll succeed on the merits at trial. But that doesn't mean they won't. It just means they haven't been able to show it in this motion, at least according yeah. to that judge. So I did a real long breakdown on, on injunction stuff and uh, having to do with pandemic stuff. But uh, it, it, there's like a, a bunch of criteria that, that – the person asking for the injunction or the postponement has to show. And one of the things is, what is the likelihood of success that you will win on the merits? And, and the idea would be, all right, well, I'm more likely not to enforce the law now if you're going to win and be able to show the law is unconstitutional. And here the judge wrote a decision that, that basically focused on that one element and says, I think you fall short here, so I'm not going to postpone the law. Right, right. So not right now the law is fully enforceable as we sit here today. And what will happen is they're going to go right to the Court of Appeals. Right. I, I, would, I would presume. That, I would presume that. Yeah. And so the court we'll appeals see. will say, "All right, now we disagree, and we're going to uh, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to enjoin it or tell the judge they did it wrong, or they're going to say, "Yeah, we agree. Go litigate the issue." But it doesn't mean it's over, does it? No. I mean, you obviously have the trial too, as well. I mean, ultimately, this law could fail, and I think it should fail. Or not the law. I'm sorry. The original decision by the original judge in, in Columbus, Ohio. Right. So we think the law is unconstitutional here at Munitions right. Log or at our Munitions Podcast. <clears throat> But uh, now it doesn't mean that the law is going to be forever indelibly inked into the annals of Ohio Revised Code. It just means that uh, there's going to have to be a trial and a a decision, which, you know, if you play that out, it's like, all right, so the trial court is going to say, clearly he's going to say he doesn't think the law is unconstitutional. They're going to appeal, Fifth District Court of Appeals up there. And uh, they're going to say whatever they say, and then whoever loses is going to ask the Ohio right. Supreme Court to give the final and, pronouncement. And to be clear, I think it kind of got lost in translation. So this all started with a city ordinance that ran, ran afoul of 9.68, the revised code, which is preemption. So there was a, an action brought forth because the judge said, yep, it, it's good. This this law can stay in place. Um, so the state of Ohio said, no, it can't stay in place. We've preempted. And so they've asked for that injunction and lost that injunction, just to be clear. Because we, we're using the term law and, and decision differently. It's and, confusing stuff. Yeah. So the bottom line is, for now, uh, stay tuned. Right. Because it, it, the only thing that's happened for now is the the law still is in effect. Right. And the law in Columbus, if you remember, it had like prohibitions on uh, what they called high-capacity magazines and all kinds of other stuff. So that law is enforceable within the city of Columbus. As it stands right now. And that may only last for another couple hours, frankly. There might yeah, be another uh, Court of Appeals order staying it uh, pending further litigation. But, you know, my fear with this law has always been if if it's really difficult to, for, say, a carrier or, I mean, we'll just take start with an ordinary citizen. If I'm driving through Columbus sure. and I have one of these prohibited items, 
uh, how am I to know and how am I to deal with this? Even even if I'm an Ohio citizen, because you know where I come from in uh, Delaware might be different than what it is here in yeah. Columbus. I mean, the city of Delaware might be different than the city of Columbus. And I think that's that that's where this preemption issue came into play to try to review this law is to make it easier on us citizens one to understand what the hell the law is because lawyers suck and they write terrible laws and it gets confusing and two to exercise our rights, our Second Amendment right, rights. Right. And our, our rights under the Ohio Constitution. Let's not forget, we have uh, the right to keep and bear arms under the Ohio Constitution as well. We do. And that's a whole different episode on how that meshes with the feds. But it's a similar idea. You know, Ohio can't restrict things that are that are guaranteed by the feds. Right. Under the Ohio Constitution or Ohio law. So, so that's the first issue today. Um, SHOT Show's going on. It actually ends this shot week. SHOT Show. So SHOT Show is it's, it, now... Well, I know what it is, but when you say SHOT Show, to those not in the industry, it sounds sure. like, what the hell are you talking about? It's the largest uh, convention in the United States regarding the firearms industry. Um, it's put on by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. It's a great organization. A lot of people don't know who they are unless they're in this industry, but they're essentially uh, the support arm, the lobbying arm, the everything uh, to the industry when we need help. Uh, we do a lot of business with NSSF and have dealings with them. Um, but the show's great. I mean, it's huge. It's out in Vegas. It's out in Las Vegas. They fill the entire uh, convention center. I think the Sands Resort, if I remember correctly, it's attached. Terrible with these hotel names, but the the the, the big there's a hotel there starts with an L. I can't remember it. Well, I don't know. It, <laughs> too fast. it doesn't matter. So it doesn't it's, matter. It's, a, it's, it's a one of the big convention. Vegas hotels. It's a big, big convention. Uh, we didn't go this year. We had some scheduling conflicts. We will be there next year. We usually go every year. Um, you know, most people get sick when they're there because you're just packed. I mean, arm to arm with people. Yeah, like. But it, it's a chance for germ the, show. Yeah, it's a chance for the the uh, they call it the shot show crud. There's a chance for all the industry to re, to re, launch their new items. And then their new products and, and then a lot of meetings happen and a lot of businesses are, you know, uh, talking and dealing and uh, a variety of different things from their business standpoint. But in any event, what's interesting about the SHOT Show is ATF, the tie in our third issue for today, launched the uh, or, or launched the final rule for uh, 2021-08F, the, ar- the armband or braced, the braced, the arm, the gun brace rule. Is ATF there? The ATF is definitely there. They're always the there. I, I, Investigating, I'm assuming they're there. Watching. <laughs> well, like no, they usually, they usually have a booth at SHOT Show. But it's interesting. They they they, they launched that uh, on its on their website on Friday, right before SHOT Show started. So, Well, let me – I want to get to these arm things. But uh, talking about SHOT Show, it, it – and, and look, I am – what makes this, this show interesting, I think, is that – I'm not an insider in the industry at all. I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I, I defend and represent a lot of folks in gun-related uh, cases. Uh, and I, I find the whole industry fascinating. And I, I always wondered, can I just go to the SHOT Show? I'm just a consumer. No, you can't. You uh, have to be in the industry. No, that's pretty easy to do for the most part. If you know a gun dealer or something like that, they can generally get you a badge. But last I, I recall, there was no way for just a consumer off the street to go to the show. It's, it's industry only. You can't buy guns there. I was going to say, are there deals to be had? or No, no. there's no guns. That, you're seeing new inventions that not even hit the market yet. And it's a lot of just business being, ha- being done. But you're seeing a lot of different stuff that's coming onto the marketplace. Gotcha. But you name a manufacturer, they're there. And these booths, Steve, are like million-dollar booths that they set up. I mean, they're gigantic. They have two floors to them. Yeah, you know, I've been go. in meetings in the upstairs of these booths. You know, it's it's insane. That's pretty cool. I want to go next year with you. You can absolutely come. We get what well, you know. What we do we we'll set the podcast there. We could do that. We'll, we'll we could figure out a way to do it. Yeah, we'll just well, we can just walk around and record if nothing else. Yeah. But uh, so arm 
what is going on with uh, the arm braces? All right. So for a, a number of years now, um, there's been talk of a, a final executive order or rule that ATF was going to implement that essentially would ban arm braces. Let's talk about what an arm brace well, yeah, is. Yeah, what's it do? Okay. So SB Tactical, actually have met the owner, um, I believe is the inventor of this item. So we have to actually take another step back and talk about what the National Firearms Act is. The NFA is what we refer to it, or what a lot of people refer to as class three firearms. It's not technically accurate, but nevertheless, we don't need to get into that. So these firearms are what I would call exotic firearms, if you will. You're not your everyday guns. So there's GCA firearms or Gun Control Act firearms, and there's NFA firearms, okay? NFA firearms are basically everything that a GCA gun is not. So fully automatic machine guns, short-barreled rifles, which means the overall length is less than, I think, 26 inches. Their barrel is length less than 16 inches. Short-barreled shotguns, essentially the same, except the overall length is less than 28 inches, if I remember correctly. Um, and your any AOWs or any other weapons, so like pen guns, lighter guns, cane guns, certain short-barreled shotguns, and some explosive devices and destructive devices. These are all highly regulated items. Most people, including the media, even the Republicans, don't think you can own fully automatic machine guns. Yes, you can. Yeah, I get this all the time. Can I own a machine? Well, it's like, yes, you can. You can. But you can't just go buy one. It takes extra paperwork. It takes it, extra it, approval. Yeah. There's a process. It's very European feeling because there's just a lot of paperwork. It takes about eight months on average from the moment of purchase to the moment you receive it. And you have to get, you have to pay a tax. It's called a tax stamp. So if anybody's drank liquor before you, sometimes you'll notice like a stamp on the cork. Yep. That's proof that a tax was paid. It's very similar in this in- instance. You remember this all comes from the 30s. So paying a tax and getting a stamp is not an abnormal thing back then. So you submit your application. They put a stamp. It's like a postage stamp on it, and they send it back. And that's your proof that you can possess this firearm. Okay? Includes short-barreled rifles. So, you know, fast forward. SB Tactical comes around. The owner's got a friend that gets back from the Iraq War, which I served in. And he's got, he's got a missing arm, or he's got a, a limp arm, but he can only shoot with one hand. So how can he shoot an AR? It takes two hands. It's a heavier gun, right? A, an AR-style rifle. Right. It's yeah. a rifle. So he designed something that looks like a stock, but you can actually slip your hand in through the middle of it where the surface material would really be on the back of the stock. And it's like a strap that goes around the forearm or bicep, and it straps the gun to your arm. I mean, almost think like RoboCop type deal, right? Yep. And you could fire the gun with a single hand. Accurately. Accurately. Well, at least as accurate as possible. Right. Of course, not as accurate as two hands, but you can still fire it because you don't need to brace the gun against your shoulder. It's leveraged against the arm now. Okay. Because gotcha. it's strapped into the arm. Um, so ATF came out with an opinion, said, yep, that's legal, not a problem. Uh, and then people started shouldering it. ATF kind of waffled on their decision. Started shouldering it? Yeah. They would actually just put the brace up to their shoulder. They didn't really use it as an arm brace. Gotcha. And that's what most people, honest to God, use it for. Uh, I mean, these things function like a like a stock for the most part. I mean, there's still surface material enough to put it against your shoulder. Um, but this allows you to basically circumvent the NFA regulations. I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say circumvent. I mean, it's just the law <laughs> at the end of the day. The question becomes is when you put an arm brace on a rifle with an 8-inch barrel, which is less than 16 inches, and the overall length is less than 26 inches, is it an SBR? Well, the argument's no. The ATF says it's a pistol, right? It's designed mm-hmm. to be a pistol. The, the brace is designed to be fired from a single hand. It's a handgun. It's a pistol. Um, but people aren't using it that way. So fast forward again, Biden comes in the office. They've had a hard on for this. They want to get him out of the picture. So this rule has been talked about and it's had different variations. At one point, they had like a sliding scale based on points. And if how heavy was it? How many rounds could be put in the magazine? What caliber was it? And if you hit a certain amount of points, it'd be illegal. Well, they did away with that. And the final rule finally came out. I don't think it's officially been published in the register yet. 
which is an important deadline, but it, it's come out. And basically, there is no sliding scale. They basically say that these things are illegal if it's an AR-15. So what is the, you know, I think a lot of people might con- conflate or confuse or both these two, th- this thing with a um, with a bump stock. You know, it's like what the only thing that makes this device somewhat concerning is that it circumvents a rule that says you can't have a rifle that short. Uh, not a rule, a law. I mean, or, the uh, NFA is an actual, it's our first gun control. A law. law. Yeah. Fair enough. A law yeah. that says you can't have a, a barrel that short on a yeah, rifle. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like the word circuit. I really don't like that. I hate when people say there's loopholes well, in the law. Well, it's their beef. It's the law, it's, right? It's, their, it's, it's Biden's beef with it. It, it definitely the, gets into a gray area, I would say. Yeah. You could argue it's an SBR. I don't think it's an SBR. ATF has said historically it's not an SBR, but now they want to say it's an SBR. It's it's a very similar argument to the bump stock, Steve. And, I mean, for years they said the bump stock wasn't a machine gun, but then something bad happens. Oh, we're going to change our opinion. And and what I don't like about this is in 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 law, there's this notion of notice, uh, and whether a reasonable person should be on is on notice that something right. is against the law. These are so vague that it's almost uh, it doesn't define things well enough for me. Yeah. When you have something like Tech Branch of ATF, right promulgating rules and saying, well, today, this is now right. a rifle. And it's still not clear. I mean, if you still shoot it from a single arm because you're handicapped, I mean, it, it could still not be an SBR. So is it, is it, are you going to define criminality by how it's used? Are you going to define right. how, or how it could be used? Because I could take all sorts of items and adopt them sure. and turn them into things that are illegal. So at the end of the day, the ETFs has come out with a lot of information on what to do and, and, uh, you take the constitutionality out of it. Basically, a consumer that may or may not own one of these is left with a few options. You can destroy the gun. You could surrender it to ATF. You could take the barrel off and put a full-size 16-inch or greater barrel on it. Or you could register it. And they're giving you four months from the day it's published in the registry to register it with the NFA, which costs $200. But they're not going to charge you. Gets a little bit cattywankas here. Yeah, I got you. I'm following so far. If you have a gun trust... You have to register it into your individual name first before you put it into trust, and then it would cost you two hundred dollars. Right. Why? Because if the trust can't be proven to have owned the gun prior to the rule being published, then it's an additional transfer, and you got to so pay for it for that. You, then you'd have to pay for it for that. And if you pa- if you do it outside the one hundred and twenty days, I think there's still going to be a charge, and you would have to engrave the gun as well with the make and and the the city and state of the owner. It's like who listening to this likes this kind of government intervention. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's this insane. is lunacy. This is why I it's hate an, the government. It's lunacy. So this is just one fancy way to further get our names and information on some database and it's somewhere. Not, it, it, it's, there's no public safety issue with these. You know, the reason of the length I had once heard had to deal with the average length of a man's arm in 1934. Oh, did, that was seems, my next question. It's like what, right. like when we were talking, like people confuse them with bump stocks. That's not what this is. No. So, what is the sinister nature of a rifle that shorter. happens to be could be headed under a trench coat? You know, but I mean, I got a pistol. I can hide it under right. a trench coat, and it's equally deadly. With modern technology, you can get a five seven FN five seven. It's it's armor piercing round. that's in a handgun. You know, it's. To me, I don't think there's any public safety issue with it, but we can get in an argument all day long. And I wonder if your buddy and others like him would have an Americans with Disability Act problem. So, I mean, look, it's like, first of all, we all have some argument about whether this is going to run afoul of the Second Amendment. All right, so let the, let the courts go on that one. Uh, my guess is it won't, but who knows. 
but then there's this other problem. If it truly was developed by this guy who had a disability so he could exercise his right to keep and bear arms. Well, his friend had a disability. But yeah, his friend had a disability. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, so that there's a reason for that. So you would say it, it might be better to, to regulate and pass laws on how you can carry or use these items, but not to ban them altogether because they might overlap the ban on somebody who otherwise needs this to exercise his constitutional right. And there you're going to have something that's called overbreath. Yeah. And I don't think that the ATF would actually go after that case, to be honest with you. Like I said, they didn't send that these things are all illegal. It's a totality of the circumstances argument. It's just a very gray argument. They haven't really provided any clarity at all, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, but why, they want, why would they? They want all these people to register these guns. I mean, think about it. I have people calling me from the military who I've never talked to since I left the military asking me about this. What do I do? I mean, there's there's estimated 40 million of these in the marketplace. 40 million of these. Steve. Unbelievable. How are they going to even process all that paperwork? Think of the money. It's all. Well, think about this. Let's play this out. All right. So the, the the rule says that if you submit the paperwork, it's going to take time to register. It's going to take longer than that four month grace period. Yeah. Then what? You can maintain possession of the gun. But what if it turns out the background check comes back and you pled out to a assault from a domestic violence years ago and just didn't know, right, that you couldn't have guns? Well, now you've just given them evidence that you've been in possession of a gun and you're you're not allowed to have a gun. Yeah. They're going to use it against you and say, well, you shouldn't have had a gun anyway. So right. Whatever. So it, it puts not, – not that the person should have ever had a gun. They shouldn't have known the law. I get that. But at the end of the day, well, it's not they, like they're, they have evil intent. You have a right against self-incrimination. Now, their right. response is going to be, well, you could just get rid of this thing. Right. Well, it's, 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 I don't buy it. It's, 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 it's very scary. I mean, how the ATF has been radicalized, in my opinion, since Biden has taken over. I mean, the bump stock I – mean, there's hope. The Fifth Circuit recently just said the bump stock ban was unconstitutional. I saw that. I'm hoping. Out in California, right? I, the Fifth Circuit. I is, where's the fifth? Um, you're asking the wrong person. I'm terrible yeah, well, with that. At any rate, they, I, well, I saw the, that we're decision. We're in the sixth uh, here in Ohio and Kentucky, so I don't know. The fifth's probably nearby, but I think it's down south. I think you're right. Tennessee, maybe. So, what happened? At, there was a decision out in California I was watching. Well, that's Ninth Circuit, generally. Yeah. But in any event, I'm hoping that, you know, Gun Owners for America, the National Rifle Association, NSSF, whoever is going to file this lawsuit, a lawsuit, and there will be an injunction, hopefully, that does apply nationwide. We'll see. Um, you know, in the bump stock, I knew there was a case where they got an injunction, but it would just apply to that one plaintiff. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm generally advising clients to kind of just sit tight. You have four months to make a decision. Yeah, sooner right? or later, sooner or later, it'll shake itself out. And I think, you know, this is the danger of giving our administrative agencies, I say this almost every week we do a show. I hate it because you have these, basically these people promulgating rules that become laws that can put people in jail. And that's the problem with this stuff. So anytime that you think that uh, it's a good idea just to write a rule or for the for the president on either side, just to sign something, some executive order promulgating a new standard that does something like impact how many millions? It could. It's estimated upwards of forty million arm braces in the marketplace. Forty million arm braces. It's like that's a very intrusive regulation. So well, it doesn't mean forty million people. I mean, a lot of these people. You got to remember, Sig Sauer. I mean, these big companies were selling these guns with arm braces. Well, sure. CZ, CMMG. I mean, big companies. But each one generates a certain amount of paperwork revenue right. uh, and potential problems. Right. So I, I, I just. I, but I, the the point is, is that I don't necessarily say it's forty million people because a you. lot of people might buy two or three of them. But it's 40 million items. It's 40 million items for sure. Yeah. No, that's uh, – it's it's definitely scary stuff, which is why the better approach would be to say, hey, Congress, do your job. 
Right. And what's your job? Well, you sit down, you debate whether well, uh, these things should be lawful or unlawful, uh, and you pass a law. I think Matt Getz is trying to do that right now in Congress. I had heard something that he had picked up on this issue, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's all for show. I ain't going to sign it. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, it's let's all be for honest. Show. It's all for show. So, well, look, so, uh, speaking of other big news, Alec Baldwin coming in. <laughs> I read last night, I was, I was about to uh, call it a night, and I checked my news feed, and I see old Alec Baldwin is going to be indicted or charged with involuntary manslaughter. Are you surprised? Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they're going to charge him. You think it's aggressive? You think it's overly charged? Should it have been a misdemeanor? I, I don't. I, I, I mean, look, I, first of all, I don't know all the facts. And, and, and the reason I don't know all the facts is partly because I, I, I didn't do a huge deep dive when it happened, but they weren't necessarily published either. I mean, it, it was uh, they kept really some mm-hmm. of these core things sort of tight. And I, I also think that as I read the comments to the – uh, to the story, a lot of people don't quite understand what involuntary manslaughter is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people hear manslaughter and they think, well, I got pissed off and shot somebody. Right. Um, but sometimes invol- it all depends on how the law is defined. But often when you hear things like involuntary manslaughter, it means that a death resulted from something like a mistake. Mm-hmm. So if I commit a negligent misdemeanor and uh, a death results, that could be involuntary manslaughter. Uh, so it changes the criminal intent of the person yeah. uh, accused. It's mo- most common car accidents. A lot of common car accidents are called, you see, uh, vehicular homicide or vehicular right. manslaughter or involuntary vic- vehicular manslaughter. So if somebody's acting a little bit reckless and killed somebody, you might see something like involuntary manslaughter, really, except in vehicle terms. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, if there's a mistake with a gun, uh, you might see involuntary manslaughter. Like so, not, not checking to see if it's loaded. Yeah, not checking see it's loaded. You're cleaning it, and next thing you know, it goes off and it kills. But is that traditionally a a felony? It it just seems very high to me. It's a felony. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now there are misdemeanor versions of homicides that would be appropriate. Negligent homicide would be one, and uh, that seems to me that would be appropriate. But there's something else going on that tells me is that there is some gross negligence, some recklessness, Mm -hmm. something beyond just a mere mistake that uh, that they can they can point back to Baldwin and say, you did this. Now, if he's being charged only because he's the figurehead of the production crew, eh, that's a little bit hokey. Yeah. Um, because how do they link that directly to him? Yeah. Uh, now, if he said, look, I don't care what we always do. This time we're going to use real guns, but we're just not going to have any ammo in them. That's like, well, that's, a, that's a little bit different story. There was a production manager, I think, that took a plea to a misdemeanor, if I remember correctly. I this. think there was somebody who it was the uh, prop director or the, whoever's in charge of the props or something. That would well, the armor is also getting charged with a felony. She's getting charged with a felony. Okay, there was somebody then else. There was somebody else. I think it was a production manager or something. He took a plea to a misdemeanor. And, so, and Baldwin didn't. And Baldwin didn't. So he's getting charged with felonies with the armor. That's my understanding. Yeah, I'd like to – I'll be very interested. I'll do some digging for next time too to exa- see how exactly uh, they theorized his guilt. But I suspect that there was a decision, some specific decision made or some reckless conduct uh, that that uh, there was a precursor to this gun being there on the set and loaded. Yeah, there's probably something we don't know. There, there, well, there, there has to be something because, you know, it, it, to me it's negligent. All day long. Yeah. It's negligent all day long because I, and, and part of me just will not go so far as to say, I think that this happened with some criminal intent. I don't think it did. So you can, can you be convicted of involuntary, he was charged with involuntary manslaughter, correct? He was charged with involuntary manslaughter. I don't know what the elements of the offense are in that jurisdiction. Okay. So negligence could be enough. Sometimes negligence is enough. Okay. So if I, if I, um, if I commit a misdemeanor and as a result of my misdemeanor, somebody dies, that can be in Ohio anyway, volunt- involuntary manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and it's felony. It's a way to elevate something mm-hmm. beyond just a mistake. Yeah. So they're they're there. It's a shot across the bow for sure to say, all right, smarty pants, you're not going to play ball with us. Then yeah, uh, we're going to indict you. And it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they offered all of them some way out, all of them misdemeanors well, or something behind the scenes to say, look, make it go away. Plead to a misdemeanor, accept some responsibility. They probably said go pound salt. What's interesting, if you if you go back and you remember the storyline, you know, it happened. I remember Alec Baldwin, he did an interview one, which I think was a mistake. And Huge then, mistake. And then number two, he went and visited the victim's family. There was videos of him coming out. Yeah. Apparently he had apologized and all these things. So, but what's interesting now is he's charged and the family's like, yeah, basically we support that. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm curious what's going on in the background. Uh, well, I know what will go on in the background. That's money. There, there, there's all, there's going Didn't to be a settle? money. I thought he settled that case. He so. may have, but there's probably a money exchange that is going to be a precursor to final resolution to this thing. Um, or maybe he didn't settle for enough, and mm-hmm. they said, "Well, look, you're not going to settle. We want the, you you prosecuted." Now that brings up another issue we deal with all the time, and uh, you know, there's a general rule that says uh, somebody who's been uh, uh, injured as a result of somebody's negligence or in a civil case can't use the threat of criminal litigation mm-hmm. uh, as a uh, as a lever to get a settlement. Uh, but the fact is, it happens a lot going the other way. So I'm representing somebody charged with a crime. And uh, if if my client agrees to pay uh, a civil settlement, then a lot of times the prosecutor will um, the prosecutor will agree to do something on the criminal case. So here we go. Um, so he did. You're showing me an old headline where he reached a settlement with the family. Looks like uh, back in October, Alec Baldwin reached a settlement with uh, Hutchins's family. So. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'll be uh, I'll be very curious to see how it, it turns out. I'm waiting on Baldwin's call. I'm sure he needs a good lawyer. I'm sure he needs a good lawyer. Yeah. And uh, I actually thought about you as I read that article. I was like, you know, this is the kind of case that we work on. You know, yeah. this is like the, yeah. that bigger picture because we're going to be, you know, I think there's going to be issues about uh, professional standards on how to handle mm-hmm. handguns. I think there are going to be nuances about those professional standards on how you handle handguns on a movie set. Sure. And there's going to be, I, I, I'm sure there are protocols that have been put in place years oh, I'm ago. sure. On this, well, and if I remember correctly, um, the armor's father was a, a leading figure in armory on movie sets. Like he kind of created a lot of these protocols, and she was taking over the reins. And obviously, her career is ruined now. Who's going to yeah. hire you when you have somebody dead at the your your the end of your hands? And and you know, this reminds me too. Baldwin did make a statement like, "I didn't pull the trigger." And you know, I remember the, that. Like, like yeah. you said, your first comment, your instincts were exactly one hundred percent correct. He shouldn't have made a statement. You know, it's like. He may not know if he pulled the trigger. Maybe he did pull the trigger and lied that he said he pulled the trigger. He said he didn't. Um, or maybe it's uh, somewhere in between. But the point is now he's got a statement on the record saying I didn't pull the trigger. Right. And I think I sat right here at this table on another podcast saying, look, I have a lot of guns. They don't go off unless you pull the trigger. Somebody has to pull the trigger. And I, and I said, well, let's wait to hear what the lab techs have to say about the operability of this gun because – I highly doubt. It's a revolver too. Right. You don't, it doesn't just go bang by itself. Not a revolver. Definitely not a revolver. And, I, and I, it's not like, I can't imagine that it's some revolver that's had like hairline trigger work or, you know, real yeah. light trigger work to make it. Uh, no. Uh, a, a this was a low budget movie, trigger. Steve. It was a low budget right. movie. Come on. It was probably somebody's gun from their car or something, you know. Probably it's like, who was. Knows? But uh, the point is that's, uh, it's happening and uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. And the way he sort of drew a line in the sand early on saying I didn't do anything wrong and said my fault. He almost dared him to prosecute him. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going through his head. I'm not his man. I'm his handler. I know he's got a team of people that should be handling that for him. I think it was mishandled. Well, I agree. He should have had us. Just <laughs> I don't saying. disagree with just, that. just saying, just saying, 
Anyway, all right. So let's let's hit the ammo. Well, can I don't know. Quick. I don't know that he could afford us, but well, he might. <laughs> we have to see. Maybe give him a payment plan. <laughs> give him a little payment plan. We take credit card. Take credit card. He can vet most. Alec, we take credit card right. and American Express. <laughs> so we had a. Uh, we actually had a question for the ammo can. There's two questions we have for the ammo can. We sort of covered one. One is, what the heck do I do now since I have this uh, arm uh, this arm brace? What do I do with my arm brace? You've sort of answered it. Yeah, you know, there's no great answer. I mean, the ETF has laid out the options. You can destroy it. You can surrender it. You can change the configuration, or you can register it. Um, I, you know, you have four months to make a decision, as I see it, from the date they published it in the register. And I don't think it was published as of yesterday. I haven't looked today, but don't quote me on that. In any event, I'm generally telling clients, wait a month, maybe two. Um, just be ready to register if that's what you decide to do. You know, I can't advise you to do anything illegal, which kind of puts a constitutional attorney in a gray zone, right? Because if I don't believe it's constitutional, is it really legal? Is it really legal? But the government's and- saying it's legal, right? So I, I, I stay away from just telling you, ne- oh, don't register it. Just, you know, put your boot on the throat of the government. Look, I can't tell you to, in, in good conscience to do that because I don't want you to get arrested. So ultimately, you have to be ready to make a decision on what you're going to do with that gun. Reconfigure it, surrender it, destroy it, or register it. But make a decision. But make a decision within the four months is my my opinion. And obviously, if they need some legal help making that decision, you're available for such yeah, things? Yeah, we can definitely help walk them through that. It's not, an, it's not a problem. The four months, I've done several of them. They're easy enough to do. All right. Well, we hardly ever do two in the ammo camp, but I thought that was appropriate. But I, I do want to cover another one. Uh, this involves something called a Berna SD, and I confess I had no what I had no idea what a Berna SD was. But somebody's looking into buying a Berna SD for self defense and protection of him and his family, and uh, the person apparently has a felony conviction on their record, or let's just say is otherwise prohibited from owning or possessing uh, f- an actual firearm, and wants to know if there is if this would qualify, right. and also <laughs> wants to know. Are there places that uh, I cannot openly carry this non-lethal uh, device? So let's start with the Berna SD. I looked it up. It's, this thing is like a it's a uh, pepper gun. It's like a CO2 gun that shoots uh, little balls of pepper spray. Or, it's a paintball gun with paint with pepper paint. Right. Designed yeah. actually a pretty interesting invention, frankly. I mean, yeah, like, I, I um, almost bought one. I looked at them in the past. I didn't know the actual name of them until you said it earlier today. But I've looked at them in the past and I realized. I got a real gun. I don't need. One I, I, I'm so. glad. I'm glad these didn't exist when I was a teenager, right. or as, as like a as like a. Uh, well, they did. They were, called, they, were, they were called wrist rockets, and we used rocks, not pepper balls. <laughs> well, fair <laughs> enough, right? But we'd been running around the woods shooting pepper balls yeah. at each other, and like you'd come home to mom with your eyes teared up. We were we were so poor that we we couldn't afford the paintball fields, so we'd use wrist rockets. We'd buy a bag of paintballs, and then it, for the kids we really hated, we'd Launch. use we use rocks and marbles. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So anyway, this goes. I mean, this will. Uh, I don't want to say it's a hard question, but it's a good one. Uh, it goes back to the definition of firearm, and in yeah. my experience with firearm law, it's all about definitions. Things sure. that things that we would think would be uh, firearms or guns aren't necessarily firearms or gun, and vice versa. Yeah, I think it it's actually goes broader to the definition of deadly weapon, okay. to be quite frank with you in Ohio law. But let's talk about the definition of firearm. We focus on two definitions, the state level and the federal level. And the federal level, I'll just read it to you, um, in fact, says that the term firearm means any any weapon, doesn't have to be deadly, but any weapon, including a starter gun, which will or is designed to or may readily be converted to expel a projectile, and here's the key phrase, by the action of an explosive. This gun 
my knowledge, takes CO2. It uses air, compressed air. There is no ignition system. There is no explosion. And and there's lots of other CO2 guns. People have these pellet guns, and, and these things are quite powerful and quite deadly if they needed right. if they needed to be. But those yeah. are not firearms. Yeah, I used to be able to buy pellet guns that took CO2 at the um, the farm and fleet store when I was a kid. Yeah, you, know? and you still not, can. You can yeah. still buy a, a CO2 gun. So. Yeah, you can go to um, I think Tractor Supply sells BB guns actually, but I think they're air pump guns. But in any event, under state law, fire means any deadly weapon capable of expelling or pro- propelling one or more projectiles by the action of an explosive or combustible propellant. Again, CO2, to my knowledge, is not a combustible propellant. There is no way for it to catch on fire and explode and, and do all sorts of, of those types of things. So I do not think it's a firearm under state law either. Okay. And I don't think it could be converted to be one either. Now, so that the first, so answering that question, it does not seem that this would be a firearm that would qualify as uh as a gun, you're not allowed. Right. That would, if you have a disability, you're okay, is what we're trying to say. But if you want to, in Ohio, it's against the law to carry on about your person a deadly weapon concealed other than which a handgun. Which is than the a hand next gun. question. So. Right. Other than a handgun, if you qualify, if you're what we call a qualified adult. So take the handgun part of it out of it. Is it deadly weapon is the next question. And what do you say? Uh, I would say we'd have to look up the definition of deadly weapon under Ohio law. So let's do that real quick. Should be 2101? 29-2301, actually. Let's see here. ORC definition, deadly weapon. And here it is. It means any instrument, device, or thing capable of inflicting death and designed. So it's, 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 it's there's two elements here. It's got to be anything capable of inflicting death, one. And then two, it's designed or specially adapted for use as a weapon or possessed, carried, or used as a weapon. So I think the second element definitely can be met. It's definitely designed to be a weapon of some sort, and it's carried and used as a weapon. The question sure. becomes, is it a thing that is capable of inflicting death? Yeah, and I think this is uh, – I don't think this is a deadly weapon. I don't think this would qualify as a deadly weapon. I think this is going to be uh, treated more like pepper spray mm-hmm. or uh, even a BB gun or something like that. What if I shoot you in the face with one of these and I didn't know you were allergic to that particular pepper and it caused a, right. a reaction, allergic reaction, you die? So here we get into this weird gray area of, of criminal defense. So look, I mean, deadly weapon means any instrument, device, or thing capable of inflicting death. So is it capable of inflicting death? Almost – you come up with lots of things that are sure. capable of inflicting death. Uh, like an, like your butter knife. Sure. Um, a candlestick. The candlestick. Right. Uh, your rocks that you're shooting yeah. at each other. And then you say, and designed or specifically adapted for use as a weapon or possessed and carried to use as a weapon. So, you know, you could say that this would qualify then as a deadly weapon. I don't think it would, though, because I think generally speaking, uh, even though it's remotely capable of, of, uh, of uh, inflicting death, I'm not sure what the st- – I don't think that's necessarily what the statute would prohibit. Now, would I tell somebody – to go ahead and carry this around in a concealed fashion and not worry about this law, I would not. I would say, of course. I would say, don't do it. It's not There's worth risk. carrying it out. Yeah. And I would have to do some legal research well, to see how things like BB guns are handled in uh, the context of a concealed uh, uh, carry situation. There, there's one thing I, I've have dealt with this before, Steve. When uh, I had a client once carry a boot knife into court and catch a felony, he's actually in court to plead out to a gun misdemeanor. And he's got a boot knife. And he has a boot knife and he goes to court and he gets arrested for this. In any event, um, we had to determine whether or not it was a deadly weapon. So I went and looked at the manufacturer's advertising. Unfortunately, this didn't work out well for him. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, you would want to look at that. And this is what I would, what we in the industry would call less than lethal force. These things are sold as part of that segment of the industry, less than lethal. You know, Fox Labs pepper spray, 
uh, brass knuckles, things that don't necessarily aren't designed to cause death. Brass knuckles a little more questionable, but you get the point. It's not a gun. It's not designed right. to literally end life. Not intended for not that in, at all. Yeah. Right. But uh, I should rephrase. Guns aren't designed in, in life. They're designed to shoot a projectile. So di- right. right. But again, it's the point is how you're using it. And, right. and this is right. like uh, I know when I was a kid, my brother at one point had a um, – he had something on the seat of his car, whether it was a baseball bat or whatever. And my dad went ballistic on him and said, you can't have that. And he goes, wow, it's just a baseball bat. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get to – you can't say that and then yeah. use it as something else because in those circumstances, it could be it could be viewed as a concealed weapon. Right. That's capable of deadly force now, if need be. if you have a truck like, you know, maybe me – and in that truck, there's a tire thumper because I use to check my tires, and you have to use it as a deadly weapon. Yeah, there you go. A lot of people say this is a tire thumper, and it just happens to sit right there. Right. But I always tell people, look, if you are carrying something or doing something, and you can always, quote, just say that it's for the legitimate purpose, well, then usually what that means is you're just lying and saying, <laughs> and saying it's for a legitimate purpose. So don't just say that. I'd rather have you just say nothing yeah. if you're asked about it. Yeah. So it's uh, – People like you know who do the accountants do this crap all the time. Well, you know we can just say that it's this. Yeah. Like, but it's not. Yeah, but no, who's going to know? It's just this. It's like no, you're asking me to lie. No, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Things that can be adapted for different purposes. I think you need the courts, the prosecutors, the police will look for the circumstances under which you are carrying it. So if you happen to have like a tire thumper uh, under your seat where it's pretty obvious the circumstances or if the, if the police found it because you ended up in a fight with somebody mm-hmm. and uh, noticed it was there, it's like, they're going to look at the circumstances. Now, if I have a, a baseball bat in my softball bag in the back seat of my right. truck or something with next to my glove and I'm wearing an arm or a sweatband and a ball cap, you know, it's like I was just at the ball field. Right. That's a little bit different. So, you know, these are circumstances that change the outcome of the equation. So it's always best just to like, don't just say it understand what you're doing. So I think we're on the same page. I don't think that this particular item is, uh, as it, it it's off the shelf, a deadly weapon, nor is it a, a firearm. Yeah. Now, would I tell somebody to go carry concealed? No. How about openly? Well, there's nothing against the law in the state of Ohio for open carrying an actual firearm, so there'd be nothing against the law, in my opinion, for open carrying this item. Yeah. I, no, I, don't, I, I don't know of anything, at least. I agree with this. And and the, the question, or the person sending the question was actually asking about open carry, but I was more curious about uh, concealed carry. So mm-hmm. uh, I would not advise anybody to carry one of these things around in a concealed fashion in your purse, in your pocket, in your uh, overcoat or whatever, uh, without at first acknowledging there's some risk here that somebody could say, well, look, that's capable of mm-hmm. inflicting death, and sure. it's clearly designed as a weapon, so be cautious. But if you just strap it on and, and carry mean, it around. There's other issues with open carry. We, we should talk about that another day. Yeah, there's lots of it. Like, Well, look, I see it every day at the courthouse. These gals come in with their like those spikes on their keychains. Yeah. And I always think, is that a concealed weapon? I don't know. Yeah. Is it capable of inflicting death? Sure. It sure is. You hit somebody in the temple it's with that It's designed and carried that way. It's designed and carried to be a weapon. Now Probably is. And then I would wonder, well, it's not a weapon. It's a self-defense mechanism. Well, the, so. the bring us back about a year, um, pocket knives were technically illegal. Yeah. Because or the way they were always carried, because it's a deadly weapon. So I would always tell clients. Well, they'd be what, five inches or longer or something that like that? That was a city rule. There was no state rule in blade length. So the issue became, is it a deadly weapon? And and it, it was up to the analysis that we just went through. And I always tell clients, if they ever ask if you're carrying a weapon, no, but I have a box cutter on me. I have a utility tool on me. That's what this yep. is for. And the case all came down. Well, we had to look, you know, is it a serrated blade? How long is the blade? What's the name of the knife? Is it a Limitator 5000 or Model 45, you know? Yep. And the jury would decide. Now, knives have specifically been named now in that statute. I don't know if you're aware of that. 
And pocket knives says they're not deadly weapons unless they're actually carried and used as a deadly weapon. So that goes to the person's intent as they right. use it, how they That's adapt. Right. That's right. So they, they change the law that way. And, and this language is, you know, this language talks about how it's adapted or whether it can be adapted or used as a weapon. So this is the right. baseball bat analogy or the tire sure. kicker analogy. Like it's, yeah, it's a tire kicker, but I'm using it as a weapon. Right. It's a little bit different. Right. So it, you can't just say and get away with it all the time. So. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up another riveting 45 minutes-ish of uh, Munitions Podcast coming at you. You know, we try to get this done about every two weeks. Lots of good content. The YouTube channel is uh, is about to get uh, – or you made a – tell us about your YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm not really – we'll talk about what we're going to do. I will still use the YouTube channel to get stuff out quickly for the industry because it takes us time to get together for a podcast. Um, But if – like for the arm brace rule, I wanted to get something out fast. So I did a quick two-minute video – and, uh, but generally, you're going to find more of the information in the ammo uh, can here on the podcast, and we're going to keep putting our focus and attention on the podcast. Yeah, website coming, so that's a, in development. There's going to be lots of information and good stuff. Uh, I th- I, you, we'll pull out some of these ammo cam questions, and uh, that way they can be accessible there. Uh, but stay tuned. So in the meantime, be safe and carry on. <laughs>